what my ideal life looks like, what I would ideally like to do, where I want to be spending my time, what I want to be doing, how many hours I want to be working, how much money I want to be making. I think that's important too to set those, like I don't need $10 million a year. I don't need to have a billion dollar business. Like I don't, like I, I'm happy with a more modest lifestyle, you know, being able to enjoy time with my family. You know, I have an eight month old daughter now, you know, that that's a big focus for me. Sometimes it takes more than one try to really nail the execution of an idea. Creating scalable systems isn't necessarily intuitive and it runs counter to most of our narratives about how hustling hard and creating more are the path to success. I propose that the path to success is actually radical consistency, but I didn't get that the first time around or even the second. I'm Susan Bowles, and you're listening to Break the Ceiling, the show where we break down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. As I was looking around for guests for the series on maintenance mode, I started thinking about all the business owners I know who really seem to have nailed it, who think in systems and processes, who really understand the power of consistency. And I noticed something about most of the folks that came to mind. They were all second or third time founders. They would built a company and then built another. They'd been through this process at least once before, realized that consistency and systems are the key to building and scaling a successful company. And then when they built their second company, they designed it from the beginning with maintenance mode or scaling in mind. They basically backwards planned their way into a systematized business that can scale or operate in maintenance mode. They started with the end in mind, the kind of business they wanted to run or how they wanted it to feel, and then they designed the kind of business that would meet their needs. This was especially true for me, so ScaleSpark is business number four for me. I started out as a professional organizer. But my husband was still active duty Air Force at the time, and we had to move just as I was really starting to grow. And I had to start from scratch in a new place. So it wasn't a great fit if it wasn't location neutral. Our next business was a guest ranch in Northwestern Colorado. It was beautiful there, and it had always been a dream of ours to operate a bed and breakfast. But my son was one, and he woke up at four in the morning, and we ran a bar, so my husband was up until two. So I'd do the morning shift with the kiddo, and we hardly ever saw each other. That kind of business didn't fit the life we wanted to have. We wanted flexibility, but we never got to leave the ranch. Then we opened up a brick and mortar running store, which was fantastic and fun. But retail is really hard, and we still had a kid. And again, we were tied to this physical place and set hours. It was more flexible than the ranch, at least it closed, but it still didn't match the life we wanted for ourselves. So when I started ScaleSpark, I designed it from the ground up to be the kind of business that would give me the freedom and flexibility I wanted. I knew what my end game was, which was the kind of life I wanted day to day, and I built a business that reflected that. My guest today did the same thing. Meet Ryan Lazanis, the founder of Future Firm, which helps accounting firm owners grow an online scalable firm. I thought Ryan would be the perfect person to talk about this because Future Firm is his second company. 
Back in 2013, he founded Zen Accounting, which he started, scaled, and then sold. Ryan and I talk about what he learned from his first company about creating a scalable company that can operate in maintenance mode, and then how the lessons he took with him from that first company influenced how he built the second one. So let's talk about your first accounting firm. So you built it, you scaled it, and then you actually sold it. So tell me a little bit about that process. What were some of the kind of critical parts or pieces or processes that you realized you needed to be able to build out to make your model scalable? Was that something you were thinking about from the beginning or kind of learned along the way? Talk to me about that journey. I think when I started my firm, um, it was with the concept of making things easier for all parties. And, you know, I came from a pretty traditional CPA firm background um, as I was obtaining my CPA designation. I worked at a small firm for about five, six years. And um, the way that services were being delivered really didn't jive with me. I felt it didn't jive with the entrepreneur in the digital age. Um, once I received my CPA designation, I went into industry very briefly, didn't last long there, had the entrepreneurial itch and decided to start my own firm. Um, and when I started in 2013, it was one of the um, earlier online accounting firms in North America. And the idea was really, how could I make accounting more accessible, easier, less painful for small business owners I wanted to work with, but also look at how I could make accounting less painful for uh, the firm owner and the employee working within it as well. So the idea of automation and scalability were certainly things I wanted to run with. Um, I, I wasn't ex experienced at all at that point. I had no experience in you know, any element of business. Um, so really had to go through a lot of trial and error. But I think the core part of being able to scale a professional services model had to do with how you structured the offer and how you productize your services. And that's something I became incredibly interested with very early on. I think one of the first, first things I did was I drafted up like a gold, silver and bronze plan. I advertised those plans on my website at a time when most firms weren't even doing anything close to that. I actually had it where people could self-select the plan, enter their credit card information right away, and pay for it without even speaking to an accountant, without even speaking to a professional. That actually was a terrible idea, but it just kind of <laughs> shows like where my head was at. Like when I first first launched my website, you know, it was an e-commerce site from from the start. Um, so my head was really around, uh, it was really geared towards productization. I think that was the critical component for uh, being able to grow the firm so quickly. So when you approached productization, because I agree with you, I think that's a, a huge component in being able to scale a services firm. What, how did you approach it? What did you tackle first? How did you think about productization? Well, then I didn't really think much about it other than, you know, getting away from the billable hour and having a package that people could sign up to for a fixed monthly price and them seeing the, the, the price in advance and being able to sign up for it right away. So, um, you know, I didn't really think too much about the strategy around productization. It was just like lumping all kinds of things together into a subscription. And um, but certainly now my thought process is a lot different, a lot more strategic 
a lot more around how you can differentiate the offers, a lot more around how you can create a, a more stickier offer. Uh, but certainly then um, it was just about getting away from the billable hour and, um, you know, having uh, uh, more, uh, you know, seeing what the price would be up front and having people sign up for that. So, so when I started, I really didn't have much of a strategy. Just get them to sign up as easily as possible. Pretty much, yes. I mean, that's not a bad strategy. <laughs> yeah, not a bad strategy, except if you're pricing it terribly low, which I was yep. doing. And, <laughs> and, you know, early on, you know, the firm started as more of a virtual CFO model. And uh, I didn't want to touch bookkeeping. I, I felt it was just not a service um, that I wanted to offer at the firm. And uh, I, I, I was really pushing uh, virtual CFO packages. And I was, um, it was a hard sell. And once I was getting people onto these plans, I realized that um, I wasn't able to uh, properly offer the service or deliver the service because the books that we were receiving from our clients were in, in, in disarray, were in shambles. And you can't offer a virtual CFO service based on um, dirty books. Yeah. So the, the, the productized offer very quickly morphed into something where if, if I want to hold on to these clients and if I want to have a, a, provide a good customer experience, there's things that have to come before, which is providing the actual bookkeeping. And from that point onward, I decided to make bookkeeping mandatory for all clients that we would be working with. And that became a staple of the productized service offer. And I realized that um, not only did it help uh, scale the business, but it created a much stickier relationship with the client. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I found the same thing with the virtual CFO services is that you really can't do any kind of advisor if you yeah. don't have any data to work from. Absolutely. Um, and went back and forth on uh, offering bookkeeping and not offering bookkeeping. Absolutely. <laughs> now, totally. Get now not. That. But <laughs> so once you built this firm, yeah. you also actually managed to sell it, which isn't necessarily super unusual in an accounting firm, but it is pretty unusual, I think, for your average service business. So when you were thinking about building the accounting firm, were you building it with the end goal of selling it? Or did you just kind of happen into it because you had this productized kind of thing that you could sell to somebody? Yeah, you know what? Selling was never a thought in my mind, never crossed my mind even once when I when I started the business. Um, I, I guess I followed in my father's footsteps where, you know, he was a small business owner his whole life. Um, you know, he had a business probably from his 30s all the way to retirement. And I just felt that, you know, I would start a business and I would follow the same footsteps where, you know, I would just run it for decades and I would run it until I was retired. You know, I never really thought about actually creating something that you would sell. Um, the, the idea of selling only came about once they started getting approached by different firms that wanted to acquire this kind of expertise because the firm was developed in a time where, you know, cloud accounting was just in its nascent days. There was a lack of um, uh, other firms doing that, uh, uh, you know, so there was larger firms that wanted to acquire that kind of expertise. And, um, and yeah, so once I started getting approached by, you know, offers to merge, offers to acquire, offers to partner, um, you know, I was really faced with a variety of different options. I was faced with a fork in the road. And, um, 
I decided to kind of uh, really think about what, what my purpose is in life, where I want to be spending my time, what I really want to be doing. And, um, you know, that led me to my next business, which I'm running right now, Future Firm. But uh, at, it was never, when I started the business, it was never a, a, a thought on my mind to sell it. It was only when uh, I started getting approached by others and uh, that one thing led to another. I received a very good offer from uh, a corporate services uh, a firm based out of uh, Isle of Man of all places. <laughs> Had to go there to sign the deal. So I never thought I'd actually uh, go to a place like that. But it was a really, really great experience overall. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing that is interesting is that while you didn't build the business with the idea of selling it in mind, you did all of the things that you would normally need to do to be able to sell a service business, which is, you know, create this productized thing that's not based on you and your expertise, but something that's repeatable and somebody else could take over. But it's interesting that you didn't, that wasn't intentional. I mean, it worked out, right? Uh, but definitely that was a core component of it because it allows me to kind of step out and transfer the business elsewhere. And I don't think you could have that without having that kind of productized nature of the business. Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, accounting firms are some of the few service businesses that actually manage to like sell on a regular mm -hmm. basis. Yep. Um, because most other you know, marketing firms and those kinds of styles of business. Yeah just aren't thinking about productization in the same way that accounting and bookkeeping style firms, just the, the workflow lends itself to very productized workflow and repeatable things um, that I think a lot of other service businesses can't envision their workflow in the same way. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. Hey there, it's Susan. If you've been listening to this interview and it's making you think about some of these issues and ideas, and you wish you could talk to some other real live business owners about it, I wanted to invite you to my free monthly roundtable, Dollars and Decisions. Once a month, I get together live with a group of amazing business owners just like you to geek out on money and operations and workflow and software, all that stuff that you hear me talk about here. The roundtable is kind of like a live interactive version of the podcast. So I would love to have you join me. To sign up for the next roundtable, head to scalespark.co slash dollars and decisions, no spaces, no hyphens, or you can just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. So how did your experience kind of growing and scaling and selling this first firm change how you decided to build future firms? So what either mistakes or things that you were thinking about from the first time did you change what did you think about as a as a second time founder i think the big thing is that um you know with my first business i kind of had i was very purpose driven which is kind of really present moment kind of kind of stuff where it's like it, uh, i i want to make accounting easy for instance that that was my my purpose but I never really thought about like the end game, the end goal, what I really wanted to achieve. I just kind of fell into it. The purpose drove me. Uh, but I never really thought about like how that fits into my life as a whole and where I wanted to take my life from a personal standpoint. And when I was faced with that fork in the road, uh, that, that really forced me to think about what I really wanted out of life what I wanted my life to look like, 
and allow me to then uh, have a blank canvas to then um, think about what I want to really achieve, how I want my life to work, uh, uh, look like, and reverse engineer a plan to get there. So uh, I really started with the end in mind um, as my starting point when I ran, when I, when I, when I spun up my second business. Whereas with my first one, I wish I would have maybe thought about that a little bit more clearly. I, and I, I think that's so common in second time founders because I had the same experience that the first, the first businesses I started were not ones that they just didn't work with my life. Like they were fine. They were good yep. businesses, but that wasn't, that wasn't the life that we wanted to have. And the second time around definitely thought about, you know, how, how is this style of business going to fit within the life I want? But I don't know that you could ever get that from like the, <laughs> I like, I've never heard of a first time founder being yeah. like, oh yeah, I'm going to yeah. engineer my business around my life. We all get in and go, oh, I'm so excited to have a business and then go, man, I also don't have a life now <laughs> yeah I, no totally and, and you know what the second time around is way way easier the first time around i had no clue what the heck i was doing i was all over the map um but certainly a lot more focused a lot clearer direction and everything is just a lot easier so you said you went in with the end in mind yep. and designed the business from mm -hmm. kind of that point talk to me a little bit about what that actually looked like for you yeah so it was just like writing down on paper, point form, like what my ideal life looks like, what I would ideally like to do, where I wanna be spending my time, what I wanna be doing, how many hours I wanna be working, how much money I wanna be making. I think that's important too to set those, like I don't need $10 million a year. I don't need to have a billion dollar business. Like I don't, like I, I'm happy with a more modest lifestyle, you know, being able to enjoy time with my family. You know, I have an eight month old daughter now, you know, that that's a big focus for me. Uh, being not, not tied down to any kind of time zone. My wife and her family, they, they, they're, my wife's Indonesian, their family all lives over there. We have brutal winters here. I'd love to spend some, you know, prolonged period of time over there, but you can't be tied down to time zones if that's the case, you know? So it's about just understanding exactly what I wanna be doing, where I wanna be working, what I wanna be spending my time on, how much money I wanna be making, having that in mind, and then reverse engineering the business model from there. So for you, that ended up looking like Future Firm. Yep. And talk to me a little bit about how that style of business became what you were deciding to build. So I, I knew personally where I wanted to be as an end game. Um, and I knew I had a very strong purpose to help advance the accounting profession in some way, shape or form. Uh, I've, I've always been frustrated with the accounting profession. Our professional bodies don't do enough to help firm owners. Um, you know, when I was running a modern firm of my own, I, was, I had no resources out there to support me when I was running my firm. And uh, it's, it could be a very a lonely and frustrating experience. And with Future Firm, I wanted to help other firm owners fast track the growth of a modern scalable firm of their own and avoid a lot of the trial and error period that I had to go through, avoid all those costly mistakes and just fast track their results. So I, I knew I wanted to help other accountants build a modern scalable firm. And I knew what I wanted, I wanted to create a, 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 a passive form of revenue that can derive from that. 
either like my initial idea was in the form of online courses. I, I, I saw that model uh, being rolled out very successfully uh, by a number of uh, businesses I've been observing. And I like the online course. Uh, for, I, 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 when, I, when I started the business, the idea was to start rolling out some online courses to accountants. To start things off though, what I did do is I knew I needed to get a better understanding of the market. So I was doing one-to-one -one coaching for about a year, collecting information. That helped me really understand the market and um, allowed me to then create a, 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 a membership model um, where uh, I could remove myself from the one-to-one -one coaching aspect and do everything through an online platform um, where they'd get access, these, these uh, firm owners would get access to online courses and online community. And de depending on the tier, they'd have some messaging access to me as well. So that kind of model removed me from having to actually have calls with people. That meant I could be anywhere in the world and I wouldn't be tied down to anything. And it's a much more passive model because some of those tiers actually don't revolve around me Deli uh, delivering any work on an ongoing basis. So uh, I knew from the outset I wanted to have a, a more passive income model. I thought at the beginning it would just be like once-off courses that I would be selling, but as I uh, understood the market a little bit better, I turned that into a subscription-based membership program, which combines online courses, an online community, and an online coaching component from myself in a messaging format, uh, depending on some of the tiers that, uh, that people select. Interesting. So now that you've kind of built this more scalable model, the second time around, you've been through this kind of envisioning, building, scaling thing more than once. What do you think are some key components to creating a business that can operate in maintenance mode that you think kind of everybody should be building into their own business? I mean, I think the key component is how could you um, eliminate yourself from meetings? Uh, I was able to do that through um, the way that I structured that productized membership model where it includes online courses so that I'm not repeating the same thing, the same kind of themes over and over again. So I think online courses, um, you can leverage that quite a bit. Uh, you know, my, on my base tier in Future Firm Accelerate, that's that online coaching program. Um, I could sell unlimited of those uh, base tiers, and it's, it's really not going to take me any much more time than, you know, if I sell 10 or 20 of them. So that's exceptionally scalable, and uh, that's really based around the online course and online community format. So um, really taking those recurring themes that you're probably repeating over and over again and turning that into more of an online course, I think that's a big component of it. Yeah, I, I think that's been uh, something I hear from lots of business owners is even if you're not offering it as an online course, being able to create repeatable training materials in some format for uh, so you don't have to answer the same questions over and over. Yeah, even if it's not a course. I mean, a training, a course, I mean, it's the same thing at the end of the day. You're just taking something that you've repeated over and over again and turned it into some kind of training format. Absolutely. Okay. Where can our listeners find you if they want to connect and learn more about Future Form or what you do? 
Yeah, so um, Twitter is probably the best spot, uh, at Ryan Lozanis, um, also on LinkedIn. Uh, if there's any accountant listeners, uh, I shoot off a, a weekly uh, newsletter to uh, over 4,000 accountants, uh, giving tips and tricks, tricks on how to build a, a modern, scalable firm. That's at www.futurefirm.co slash newsletter. Um, those are probably the best places to find me. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here and for sharing your story with us. Much appreciated, Susan. You don't have to start a new company to take advantage of the lessons Ryan spoke about. You can apply them to your business right now, and you can do it a little bit at a time. Ryan mentioned how creating packages went a long way towards helping him create scalable systems in his first accounting firm. Creating something that you can consistently sell over and over is a fantastic first step towards a more efficient operation. That consistent offer allows you to have a standard scope of work that you can reuse, a list of the same task or process to deliver that service. You can even create templatized communication for your client. It's hard to create a standard process when you never sell the same thing twice. That's just one way you can start to intentionally design your business for scaling or for maintenance. And you don't have to start a second business to do it. But thinking about designing your business around systems is a powerful way to make sure you're building a business that'll be ready to operate in maintenance mode. Next week, I'll be talking to Sarah Avenir about the dichotomy of being a startup CEO or a maintenance CEO. And do we necessarily have to be one or the other? So make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss it. And if you want to dig more into this idea of maintenance mode live with me, come to the next Dollars and Decisions Roundtable. It's a finance and operations strategy session for business owners like you, and it is a great way to talk through some of the challenges you might be facing with scaling your business or with trying to figure out how to get into maintenance mode. You can register at scalespark.co slash dollars and decisions, all one word, or just click the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Break the Ceiling is produced by Yellow House Media. Our executive producer is Sean McMullen. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode was edited by Marty Seafeld with production assistance by Kristen Runbeck.